Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Michael Group, the founder and CEO of Brighter, a no-code platform for building digital applications in the legal and compliance industries. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, Eric. Thank you very much. And yes, I'm doing fine. I hope you're well, too. I'm well, and it's a privilege to speak with you. So tell us about your background and the genesis of Brighter. The genesis of Brighter is actually in the 50s and the 60s, if you want. I won't bore you with the history of legal automation and the history of legal informatics, but the concept of Brighter really goes back to the early days of when informatics started and lawyers were interested in this new industry was using rules. They realized that their way of describing knowledge was actually rule-based and conditional logic-based and based on scenaric models. The lawyers tried to build tools using expert systems and very sturdy tech, and that was very expensive. So when I was a lawyer in 2012, I had an agency called Exalgo that was actually building workflows and decision support engines for the legal profession. And it actually came out of a dissertation and we really examined how semantic reasoning was formalized and how it was turned into a distributable digital concept. We saw that people, lawyers especially, had been excited about the opportunities informatics would bring to their profession since the 50s, but there was no tag that would facilitate that process. They would always have to be able to code themselves. So the idea to build Brighter was actually almost found in 2012. I quit a law firm in 2013. I was in a litigation team doing international arbitration, then ran a tech startup for four years. And after we sold that in 2017, I had some time to think about what to do. The agency that I had co-founded was still active. And I saw that automation became a big thing in so many other industries. And that really brought us to the conviction that the timing was perfect to start the automation platform. And that is basically when Brighter, as the company is called today, really started off. How does Brighter work? The idea behind Brighter is that somebody who's a business professional, somebody who's in compliance in law, wants to turn an idea, a concept, a reasoning into a tangible piece of code, like in an application, in an app, but without having to code. So Brighter really works like an app builder, basically a drag and drop front end where you can click together what you need combined with the rule engine so you can define how the software works. But you can use this in your browser. You don't have to write code, you drag and drop pieces and really describe in a visual way how the thinking process goes. Then you click, push, you publish the app that you wrote, you connect it to a front end and integrate it maybe to your SharePoint folder or maybe to Microsoft Excel, but you push it with a click of a button and it's live. And then you can distribute it and people can use it. For your market, what are the most popular use cases for Brighter? We describe Brighter as a building platform to build use cases. So I sometimes jokingly say it's AutoCAD for lawyers. So your question would translate into what do architects use AutoCAD for? It really depends on the profession of our users. Some people build rather easy and almost low-hanging fruit applications that go fast and they take almost no time. So gift and hospitality checkers, that would be an example of a use case many people build. 
example, in companies, you often have the question in sales and in marketing, am I allowed to accept gifts? And if I am, to what value? How does that work? The compliance team can build these kind of intake and check tools as a self-servicing application rather fast. And this is something that many people do, especially in the compliance area. In employment law, things like freelance checkers that would check whether or not you run a risk of disguised employment. That is a use case that is being built a lot. But then on the exact other side of the scope, you would have applications that are significantly more powerful and require more time to build. This is especially in the LIBOR repapering, ISTA, so financial services compliance. Here you have teams of KPMG and PwC using Brighter to actually build rather complex banking workflows where they bring in our platform. What aspects of legal practice is a platform like Brighter replacing? I wouldn't say we're replacing anyone in the core legal industry, honestly. We're more enabling them to build stuff. Lawyers use their computers a bit like digital typewriters. Obviously, they store documents and they have a work desk and a workplace that equips them with a number of other applications. But most of the time, they really describe what they think in a memo form like they always did with pen and paper. Brighter just gives them a tool set to go one step further and to actually build interactive tools. So if that replaces something or someone, it's probably the IT agency that you would have hired to build that application. It is probably your in-house IT department that you would have asked to help you build that app. But to be very honest, most of these cases, especially the self-service tools that I just described, they are sometimes not worth the ROI of 100K plus costs for an agency to build the app. So they're not even built at all. So actually, we've enabled people to build stuff that was just not built at all at first, and we've lowered that ROI requirement. How has your team adapted to this remote working environment? The boring answer is not much. We're remote first. This was something that happened in the first weeks of the inception of the company that we got applications from people that were extraordinary. We wanted to hire them nevertheless. So although the company is based in Berlin, in London, we still have people working across Europe and even a few people in the US. So it's really remote first and distributed team. So there was no day COVID, the one day that changed all and we had to work from home. People are actually trained to do that. And on an operational level, there was no difference at all. We had the on-sites that were canceled or had to take place virtually, like our quarterly on-sites. But other than that, on an operational level, nothing has changed really. That was a good thing for us. Then obviously as a company, some of our customers are taking more time to meet, to discuss things. So it does slow down, especially the new business area to some extent. On the other hand, we had so many customers that had bought Brighter in 2019 and in the COVID turmoil realized what they could do additionally with Brighter, exceeding their use cases they bought Brighter for. One example is KPMG was active in the credit application checks. So the banks that handed out the COVID loans in Europe, they needed to do plausibility checks, anti-money laundering assessments for the companies applying for these checks. Some of the big four were using Brighter to offer banks these automated workflows out of the box and build in a couple of days. So to some extent, COVID showed the potential of these rapid development platforms and these no-code platforms and really drove more engagement to the platform. It's really challenging for everybody involved, but there was a silver lining to it. Brighter recently announced a round of funding. How are you able to raise money while the global economy was in turmoil? To be honest, you would not do fundraisings in these times, especially 
if you weren't already feeling some interest and some likeliness of this happening. So we did have interest from VCs that wanted to participate in Brighter. We had a good year 2019. We were just about to be more active in the US. So it just felt right to actually start a more in-depth conversation. That's what we did. But then it was like a typical fundraising process, talking to new investors, explain Brighter and really go out. If you compare it to, I'd say, a normal fundraise, it was more sprint rather than a marathon. These normal fundraises, you know, you're looking at three to four months, sometimes even a bit longer with the extensions until closing and money in the bank. And this time it was four weeks. So it was extremely condensed, but meant 7 a.m. the morning to 11 p.m. at night, Zoom calls, quite challenging. The interesting part is that you try to talk to people all over the world, not moving from your desk, which is challenging in times where you are working against the deadline. So you try to create interest and really try to get the excitement of the product across a virtual call, which is just very different. I wouldn't say that it was tougher because if you look at it, obviously, if it's faster and maybe a bit more stressful, but then still possible, it's just a very different way to fundraise and a very different way to interact with people. On the other hand, I must say, it's not bad. Even that part of, let's say, entrepreneurial life can actually have a post-COVID reality and will probably take place more virtually. It's hard to build trust, really. Some people obviously want to be in a room with someone and you can't have this, let's have a coffee and just chat about things. I mean, you can do virtually, but it's a different feeling. But other than these very few things, I think it's something that will take place a lot more virtually in the future as well. Do you have recommendations for other legal tech entrepreneurs who are trying to raise money in this climate? Every company is different. So obviously these tips are not applicable 100% to everyone. There's one that is maybe applicable to everyone that is my number one tip for every entrepreneur going out. Have the data ready even before you actually go out and pitch. So you can move fast once you have to and don't start to assemble data room and have your back offices build stuff. That's just this key thing that just makes your process cleaner. If you have your back office in place, all the contracts there, you're just ready to go in all aspects and you can really accelerate the process because you just sometimes have to and then you can. So this is something that wouldn't then also take the momentum out of things if you then have to wait for two weeks to get your data rooms in place. Especially in these times, if you want to have a tight process, something that is extremely relevant because you just don't have that much time to prepare for it. Then other than that, you have to be more on point, it felt. So I'm not sure if this was just because of the Zoom calls where you only have 30 to 45 minutes to really convince someone. You have to be more on point. You have to have your story in a more condensed way because there's less time and less contact to get people excited about it. I think I would rehearse more. And then there's one aspect regarding the VCs. You really need VCs that you know already, which means that you should try to fundraise from your network or at least people that can be introduced to you really easily. It's very hard to build a relationship with someone you hadn't had any contact before. It's very unlikely. The second thing is that you need a VCs and investors that actually understand what you're doing. It's very hard to explain what you're doing without being able to sit in the same room or meet or have customer reference calls in abundance. So you really need VCs already that have that same hypothesis for the future as you have, and then really think the way you think about your product and the market and the developments there. If you're honest about this as a founder, that really boils down your VC funnel to probably a very small part of funds. And that also then means that you need to hyper-focus on those funds or maybe add funnel to speak then to more VCs 
upfront that know your industry. So if you do the math out of these last two points, number one, rely on VCs that you already know before. Then number two, rely on VCs that actually understand profoundly what you're doing and believe in that. That also means that it might be very hard to raise funds if you don't have these two in combination in place. If you do then, I think the times are not too bad to actually raise money. What are your plans for expansion? We started in the core legal area, selling to big law firms, corporate legal departments. Now we see that more and more use cases are coming from other verticals and other sectors, compliance, procurement, some areas where you would have the same way of thinking, like application of policies and management of policies and scaling of this rule-based decision support in other areas where you wouldn't have expected it. A lot of part like administration, even if you want some parts of marketing or financial services, we just expanded into financial services with a hire in London because we see that there's so many policy-based use cases in financial services. So we are having some additional sectors added to our market. Then on the geo level, we're about to open shop in the U.S. We have a number of customers in the U.S. already. Some of our customers that have international offices are already in the U.S. So we're basically just following our customers stateside. So we're super excited about being more active in the U.S. and open an office at the East Coast. How do you see legal tech evolving? These are the days for legal tech, although it really comes down to what you define as being legal tech. The core digitization of business services at large or enterprise services is happening now. If you look at companies and big law, this is the moment where you have almost this paradigm change of how services are distributed and how companies think about digitization. So if you define as legal tech as almost a part of enterprise services, that the compliance and the legal function now gets plugged into the digitization of the corporate infrastructure and the company at large now becomes digital, this is a huge market and it gets bigger and it's ready now. It seems ripe. But if you think of legal tech as this law, like lawyers selling legal solutions, I think the market is still a bit complicated and you can't scale internationally easily if you do vertical applications. If you do not pay in the UK, you can't go to Germany. If you're flight right in Germany, you can't scale internationally so easily. Then you don't have a super interesting exit market because it's so fragmented. All these big law players are not used to buy legal tech. So legal tech, if you describe it as this is lawyers selling software, especially for vertical solutions, this has been a complicated market for a long time and it will remain that complicated market. But if you look at legal tech as this is a part of the way business experts think and it's lawyers, but it's also compliance experts, data privacy officers, tax consultants, people applying policies. This is the moment in time. This is where it really gets big. We feel this. I just got off the call with the founder of Eigen. We have a close relationship to the other big data analysis software companies. There's so much going on that this is very, very interesting and growing. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Michael Group the founder and CEO of Brighter, a no-code platform for building digital applications in the legal and compliance industries. Michael, thank you so much and wishing you continued success. Thank you very much, Ari. I love being on your show and keep up the good work. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit reinventingprofessionals.com or ari kaplanadvisors.com to learn more.